Hello friends, look what you made me do. <laughs> look what you made me do. Welcome to another episode of the Robcast. And I'm sending all kinds of love to my friends in the UK. Uh, and sending love to all of you in South Africa and all my German friends who are listening in. And then all of our friends in Australia and... New Zealand, and uh, well, how about Mexico? Rodrigo, how are you, my man? Shout out to uh, my brother in Mexico, and then uh, all our Brazilian friends. Uh, welcome to the Robcast, to another episode. This one's called Everyone is Your Teacher. And I'm assuming that uh, you even maybe read the title of this episode, <laughs> Everyone is Your Teacher, and you're like, seriously, Rob, seriously, have you met my brother-in-law? Uh, have you hung out with my neighbors? Do you know my boss? Come on, everyone is my teacher. So I'm assuming that some of you had serious cognitive dissonance with the title of this episode, and that is, uh, that's beautiful. Let's go with that. We'll work with that. Um, because I want to introduce you to a new way of seeing the whole thing. And this one might take a while, by the way. Judging by the pages, once again, we're working in actual paper made from trees, uh, Judging by the notes here, this one, we, we might be here a while. So, uh, you know what I mean? Um, we got a lot here. Because I want to give you a different way to see what's happening around you and to you, specifically in relation to other people. Uh, oh, by the way, my next Largo show is October 4. So, if you're here in this time zone in Los Angeles, um, Largo dash la.com is where you can get tickets for my Largo show and Largo shows. Oh my word. I know I just gush about them, but man, what a gift, uh, that I get to do something like that. And then uh, two day in Nashville in November, that's where I bring you two days of new ideas and we go and it is, uh, I've been doing them in Los Angeles a while. I think I did a couple in London, but now we're doing the Nashville edition and that's mid November. Um, and uh, then I'm doing two Something to Say workshops this fall, which are for communicators. So if you're somebody who takes things, nudges, impulses, stories, incoherent ramblings, ramblings and rumblings, and you try to shape them, messages, speeches, sermons, chapters, you try to shape them into something that might actually help some people. Uh, that, that art, it's all like a... That's almost like a lost art in some ways. But uh, these workshops are serious. We, we go. Um, and I take you into your own work. I'll show you some of mine. I'll give you some exercises that we'll all do together that like uh, uh, sharpening your storytelling. And then especially for people who are stuck, you're working on something or you have to say something on a regular basis. Um, you have a regular gig of some sort and, and just trying to keep up. Like where do new ideas come from? How do you not... Uh, go to Desperate Speaker the night before, DesperateSpeaker.com the night before. Um, all that <clears throat> we work on in these workshops. So there you go, a couple things going on. But now, my friends, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone is your teacher. And uh, to get at this, we will start with you. We'll start with the shaping of you, and then we'll work our way to others. So it might take us a while to get there, because we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, but once again, I want to introduce you to a 
different way of seeing the whole thing, which I realize is about the most vague thing you could ever say. <laughs> uh, so first, let's talk about the shaping of you. And then gradually we'll move to how you understand others and the role that others play in your life. So <clears throat> to get into this, let's begin with where you were born. I assume you know where you were born, perhaps the name of the hospital, uh, the year. That is a central fact about who you are. If we were telling our life stories, where we were born is in there somewhere as a central detail. But why were you born there at that time? Why did your mom or maybe even your dad live near that hospital? Did they live near that hospital? Was that hospital near uh, a parent's house? Did they get a job in that town? Were they born in that town and never left? Why were you born where you were born when you were born? Why did somebody decide to have you then or not decide to have you then and yet you still appeared? We cannot talk about a basic fact about your life who, where you were born and when, without talking about the decisions other people made that allowed your mother to be in that town, in that hospital, nine months or so pregnant at that time. So people joke about, I mean, how many of us had anything to do with our own birth? But our own birth happened because of the decisions and actions of others. If we talk about uh, what jobs you've had, well, who hired you? Somebody made the decision that you are the person who should be hired to do that job. So the most de basic details about your life reflect the decisions and actions of other people. The reason why it's important that we start here is, is we live in an era that, that bows down at the altar of the individual, uh, of the autonomous self. You'll hear people say, you, know, you hear people say things like, I'm self-made, nobody extended me any helping hand, I did this all myself. But we can't talk about who you are without talking about the role others played in shaping and determining who you are. From where you were born, to what schools you went to, to the jobs that you held, to the relationships that you had. So when you talk about your best friend growing up, well, why did your best friend's parents choose to live near your parents? Every last detail about the shaping of each of our individual selves is intimately and intricately intertwined with the decisions and actions that were made by others. The self is the result of numerous forces, interactions, people, events, and circumstances that exist beyond the individual self. How are we doing so far, my friends? Let's pause. Okay, now, second then, 
divisions and differences are real between you and other people. You are not her. He is not you. The divisions and differences between us and other people are real, but they exist within a larger web of connection and interrelatedness. The divisions and differences between us and other people are real, but they exist within a larger web of connection and interrelatedness. Like think about the person who says with big exclamation points, I am nothing like my parents. Now this statement, I am nothing like my parents, is a statement about differentiation. It's about distance. It's about division. There's me over here and there's my parents over here and I am nothing like them. But it rests, that statement, within a larger truth of connection and interrelatedness. Your parents shaped you. Literally, physically, you were shaped in the womb of another self. But when somebody says, I'm nothing like my parents, what they are saying is that in their defiance and their need to make distinctions with their parents, their parents are actually continuing to shape them. When somebody says, I don't want to be anything like that person, what they're saying is, I am making particular decisions to be a particular kind of person because I do not want to be anything like that person, at which point what the person has acknowledged is that that person is deeply affecting and shaping who they are becoming. See, the rebel is formed in part by the rules. The rebel makes a grand show of how he or she doesn't follow the rules, but if you keep talking to us about how you break the rules, the rules are playing a significant role in who you're becoming and the actions that you're taking. See, the more someone resists something, the more whatever it is that they are resisting is shaping them. Now, some things should be resisted. Some injustice should be fought. Obviously, certain things we do want nothing to do with. But the difference, the rebellion, the resistance, the pushing and distinction is being made acknowledges once more that the differences and divisions, however real they are, exist in this larger web of connection and causality and interrelatedness. Are you with me on this? Okay. We're almost through the intro. <laughs> okay. So third then, there is this you that is the deepest you. It's the most you, the true you. People talk about their best self. There is this you that is you in your most profound bedrock sense. You the essence. Now, uh, why do we know? And, and I know for some that sounds incredibly squishy, like something, you, like a title you'd read on a magazine in the checkout line at the grocery store. I get it. Hang with me. How, why do we know this? Uh, do you ever find yourself angry, disappointed, bitter, let down, depressed, frustrated, weary, or grief-stricken because you did something you wish you hadn't? <laughs> yes, we're all raising our hands, correct? 
You ever find yourself angry, disappointed, bitter um, because you did something you wish you hadn't or you didn't do something and you wish you had done it? Anybody here have negative voices in their head, tapes that play, uh, telling you, what are you doing? You screwed up another thing. You blew up another relationship. You failed again. You forgot the most basic things, and now this thing is a mess, and it's on you. How many of us? Of course, we have this. Now, why? Why do we regularly have these tapes that play in our head, have these voices uh, that we hear? Because of the sense we each have of a true self, a sense why don't you just, why don't we just passively go, oh, I guess that's just how it is. No, something within us fights, it struggles, it pushes back. You're angry, disappointed, bitter, let down because you have some sense of a you that you weren't being in that moment that you desire to be. I mean, why do human beings for thousands of years witness to a sense of falling short. It's very New Testament language. Uh, falling short of some, what would you call it, ideal, best sense, goal, ultimate something. Uh, it's because you know that you are here to become something. You know that there is a you that is the best you. There is a you... Uh, how would you even say it, out ahead? There is a you that's pulling you forward, a you that you continue to believe even when we make such a giant balls-up mess of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, and actually, this struggle between who we are, what we've done, and who we know we could be, or who we continue to cling and hope. Maybe it's even the question at the heart of what it means to be human. Could I actually step into that meanness more? Uh, think about your moments of peace, love, joy, and connection. They're, they're moments when you open, when you expand, when you learn, when you grow, when you move beyond, when you give, uh, when you step past, when you awaken, when you connect, those moments are all moments when you become. When you become this you that is the you behind, beneath, and around the you that you are. This becoming, it's like it's deep in your bones, right? Because becoming is the natural state of the universe. We don't live in a static universe. The universe is actually expanding. Uh, we, we actually know this and can measure it. The universe is expanding. It continues to unfold. It continues to transcend and move beyond. So we know that there is a you that is the you that is the you you most desire to become and that becoming is the natural, becoming's deep in your bones. And now here's why I find all this so deeply compelling and fascinating. The universe is rigged in your favor because all that comes your way carries within it the potential to help you on your path to becoming more and more the you you're here to be. That feels like a 
like I should, is there some way to like say something so that it's caps locked? <laughs> or is there some way to say something so that it's like bold or like the font is extra big? The universe is rigged as your favor because in their universe is rigged in our favor because it never stops bringing things our way that are carry within it, carry within those events, people, trauma, tragedy, challenge, obstacle. The universe never stops throwing things our way that have within them the potential to help us continue to become who we're here to become. So, all that leads me to this, and that includes people. What I want you to do is shift your perspective and think about a universe that is rigged in favor of your growth, maturity, expansion, enlightenment, and whatever peace, joy, love, connection, uh, spinal fortitude. I want you to think about the universe as a place that is rigged to help each of us grow up into the full you that is the you that is the me that I'm here to be. Oh my word, that rhymes. And one of the ways the universe does this is it puts people in our path. It surrounds us with people. It drops people right in front of us and says, this person has something to teach you. Everyone is your teacher. Now imagine, hang with me here. If you're washing dishes, if you're driving the kids in the minivan, if you're working out, imagine if you saw the whole thing from like a slightly higher altitude. Imagine if you could observe your life as a non-judgmental observer and you could see it as an unfolding story, play, as an episode, as a drama, as a saga. Imagine if you could see it and imagine if you could see your life as, oh, the whole thing is rigged for each of us to grow up, to wake up, to become. And so imagine if you could see the people who are coming your way as gifts that were here to help you become, that were to help you learn specific things, to become better in specific areas. Now, I know for some, there's instantly red flags. Because you're like, really? Seriously? What about, and especially if you think about abuse, betrayal, abandonment, uh, infidelity, you think about these things, like seriously, what, how is that? Uh, so, so let's say a few things, because immediately you start talking about this, you dredge up all sorts of pains. So let me say a couple things. Two side notes. One about boundaries, one about seasons. First off, some people are toxic and dangerous. Some people who you were once very close to are now toxic and dangerous. They will suck the life out of you and they will crush your soul and spirit. And so you have to have boundaries with them. You have to have distance. Uh, by the way, you can love some people from a distance. You can love some people and see them once a year. You can be a kind, compassionate person and have seriously limited contact with other people with very strong boundaries around that contact. And some people you have to cut off contact with. And it's not because you're some horrible, wretched, hard-hearted person. 
it's because sometimes what that person is here to teach you is how to have a spine and boundaries. So as soon as you start talking about, well, do I have to be around? Is everybody, if everybody's my teacher, do I have to? No, no. And that's why, first off, boundaries. By the way, there's this line in the Proverbs about uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to their folly. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, some people uh, will keep returning to their vomit, and you don't have to be there when they do. So uh, if there are people, I probably should do a whole series on this. If there are people who, when you're with them, you spend the next three days recovering, if there are people who have a supernatural ability to say things, they hide knives in their words, um, and those, uh, those things they say just haunt you for days. If it takes you after being with that person hours and hours to get back to zero because you've spent so much energy just, yeah, yeah then, then that's not helping you become you. That's tearing you to shreds. So sometimes you have to have boundaries. And then second, you have seasons. Uh, I have a therapist, uh, a therapist I went to for years, Dr. B., who used to say, for a reason, for a season. And he would talk about how people uh, come into your life, and some people go the whole way, but most relationships, he said, were for a reason, for a season. And he would say it like that, for a reason, for a season. He would talk about, hey, they taught you what they were here to teach you. And uh, he would often talk about how that was a wonderful season, wasn't it? And then it passed. It's that feeling when you're trying to keep a relationship alive and it's taking so much energy and it might even be becoming awkward and all of a sudden you realize, what am I doing? What am I doing? Part of the power of it is celebrating, let it be what it was. It was what it was and now it is not what it was. So let's just be honest about that. Some people come into our life and there's a season. Uh, you, sometimes you know it when you are with somebody who you, at one point, you were very close, maybe often because of circumstances or events, and then later things shift and now you get together with them and you do that like 17 minutes of catch up and then you realize you have nothing else to talk about. You're like, man, we're gonna be in this restaurant for another half hour and we have just run out of things to talk. You know that feeling when you realize, oh, it's because this relationship was about that season when we had that thing that we had in common then to talk about. And now things have moved on and it's okay. It's okay. So those two boundaries and seasons, those two side notes, let's come back to everyone is your teacher. Imagine seeing the people who come through your life like this. Imagine having a running dialogue. This person is a gift. They're here to teach me something, show me something, expose something, reveal something, illuminate something, help shape and form something. And here's the really interesting thing, whether they know it or not, they don't have to be in on it. Do you see why this gets really interesting? They don't have to be reading from the script. They're just doing whatever they're doing. And yet you are grateful in some weird way because you realize that they can be seen through an entirely different lens. And this is especially true of annoying people, obnoxious people, 
abrasive, human sandpaper people, EGR, extra grace required people. You know what I'm talking about, right? People who have this mystical ability to say things that are so, like little digs, cuts, um, they throw shade your way, they make comments that like a Taylor Swift melody lodge themselves in your frontal cortex for days on end. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Flip it around. Oh, they just said that. Now, there's a part of me that in my own history would respond this way. What am I to gain and learn from this? Imagine seeing the people around you as participants in your growth and unfolding. Do you see how much more interesting everything gets? Now, if you start doing this, a couple things. Number one, note strong reactions. If you find that somebody can set you off incredibly quickly, like how does that, how does Carol from accounting get under my skin that fast? How does Rick two doors down with that obnoxious smelling lawnmower, that guy pisses me off in some way that I can't, if, <laughs> right? Anybody with me? Uh, note strong reactions. Something within you is reacting to something about them. Pause and ask yourself, what is it? Now, it might be, this person is completely psychotic, they are bent on your destruction, and you need to build a giant stone wall between you. Okay, fine. But sometimes, is there any chance that the reason why you have such a strong reaction against them is that it is poking something within you? Is it a fear that maybe I am like that? Is it, I mean, obviously, it's generally it's going to come back to some form of fear. But oftentimes, the reason why this person makes me so crazy is because something within me is terrified that I'm like that. Or sometimes the reason we are reacting so strongly is we're here to do something very different and to be something very different. And they're this gift to us to help us shape and define who we are and what we're here to do. So note strong reactions. Number two, uh, think about it like a gift. They might be giving you the gift of spinal fortitude. So this person always pushes you around and it makes you crazy. Maybe they're here to teach you to stand up for yourself, to grow a spine. And so you have always cowered. You have always been the beta to their alpha. You have always let them set the tone and make the rules. And there's always the chance that it's about self-respect. They have not treated you with respect. And so they're here to give you the gift of a spine. And so all that discomfort, all that pain, all the anger when you walk away from them and you're just steaming, what if it's a gift? What if it's a gift to you 
to help shape within you a greater sense of respect and stewardship of your energies because you're here to contribute. Uh, maybe they're giving you the gift of compassion. Maybe they're, they make you crazy because something within you is breaking and the breaking is painful, but when it really breaks, you'll be open in new ways. Uh, maybe they're here to give you the gift of announcing that it's not your job to be a flight attendant to the world. <laughs> maybe it's somebody who just keeps taking from you and you just keep serving and you just keep sacrificing and you just keep spending and you just keep paying the cost because deep down you're like a flight attendant to the world. Somebody has a need somewhere and they push a button and you come down the aisle and maybe you're not here to be a flight attendant to the world. <laughs> maybe you're here. Was it Anne Lamont who talked about that? Somebody who I adore said something about this, about being a flight attendant to the world. Um, maybe you need to stop being a flight attendant to everybody around you. Uh, maybe this person is here to teach you limits because no matter what you do, you don't seem to be able to impress them. And maybe for you, earning people's approval has been how the world has worked for you. And for some reason, this person, no matter what you do, they're just not impressed. And you're like, wait, I'm doing my normal song and dance. I'm doing my normal magic tricks. I'm performing like I always do. Why aren't you giving me the seal of approval like everybody else does? Why aren't you giving me the stamp? And uh, maybe it's because it's a bad use of your energy and there are limits to your powers. And we don't like limits. Or uh, maybe you're trying to save them and they don't want you to save them. By the way, if you've bought somebody more than one copy of the same book uh, and they haven't read the first copy you gave them, maybe they don't want saving. Maybe you're spending tremendous energy trying to get them to see it, trying to get them to wake up, trying to enlighten them as you've been enlightened. And there are limits. Um, and maybe actually your attempts to get them to get it, whatever it is you've decided is it, politically, spiritually, whatever it is, uh, maybe this is about they're here to teach you that it is not your job to save others and that you actually can't control others and that actually when you try and manipulate and get people to have the experiences that you've had, you're actually in the way of them having their own experiences of expansion and enlightenment. Or maybe this person's just here to help you laugh more. Literally, they're so absurd and they say such ridiculous things and they're so over the top and they're so clueless and unaware. Maybe they're here for you to learn how to laugh at the insanity of human beings. <laughs> I'm going to say a few more things about that in a second. Um, yeah, and maybe they're just here to teach you to stand up for yourself. Uh, Kristen has this great line. Uh, Kristen Bell, that is, my lady. Kristen Bell, um, she has this great line when somebody who's completely insane, do you know that feeling? Somebody who just keeps, like they have a thing they do or they're a certain way, and you're like, that is just crazy. But then they, again, will do it. She'll, she, the other day she said about somebody, oh man, it's amazing how they can stick to the script. <laughs> The other day she said, man, they just keep coming up with material. Do you, do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who has a way of saying the most insulting things ever? 
And no matter what the situation is, they'll find some way to say some dig, some slight, some comment that appears uh, sort of banal, but it's actually like a, a like a dig. Like it's it's like a um, it's it's insulting, and you can be offended. Or see once again, fly like at a slightly higher altitude. See the whole thing as an unfolding story. See the whole thing as a happening. Um, man, like the other day, Kristen was like, they they came up, they didn't fail. She literally said about somebody the other day, man, they never fail to disappoint because this person had said another insulting thing, and she read it like a character, like a character reading from a script, and man. The writer's room came up with another line. That is amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm serious, my friends. You start seeing things this way um, because you're, you're maddeningly frustrated with that person who maybe for some reason they're in your life and they're just, there's no way they're going to be a part of your life. Turn it around. It's a, and see it as a creative act. Oh my word, they managed to turn that situation. You know anybody who's negative? They can, they can find the negativity in anything. Uh, Kristen and I will note this um, when somebody is insane, it's like, like never stops finding the negative. They, they found, we will now talk about it as an art form. They found the negative in that. It's almost like points for, points for playing, you know what I mean? Like I, I literally, if I tried, couldn't find the negative in that, and they did. Amazing. Now, you, you'll notice there's a subtext to all this, and here's it. Here it is. The ego is incredibly clingy, and what I'm trying to do in this whole episode is show you the ego. And, and this isn't obviously technical psychological language. <laughs> the ego is incredibly clingy. Here's what I mean. We love to grasp on being right and grasping their wrongness. We love to compete. We love to grasp on to winning and they're losing. Uh, and then you have the more enlightened language. We get it. They don't. We are woke. They are asleep. We are on it. They are behind. Uh, the ego loves to endlessly make distinctions and difference and division between us and them. We're winning. They're losing. We're the progressives. They're the conservatives. We're the liberals. They're the fundamentalists. We're the, the ego loves this. The ego is incredibly jumpy because it's down in the battle. It's constantly assessing where it ranks, how it stands up, who are they? Are they with us or not? Who are they? There are entire television networks built on there's us and then there's them. And we're the ones who have the straight, pure vision of the truth. And they're the ones who are lying to you. I mean, they're entire, you live in a world in which there are literally billion dollar industries built around the clinging of the ego. We're this, they're that. Or a friend of mine taking sides. Well, what side are you on? What side do you come down on? What's your stance? A friend of mine said he was at lunch the, uh, the other day with a guy who was like, yes, but what camp are you in? <laughs> they were talking about, he said they were talking about something 
you know, like the, the, the divine, the infinite. He's like, we were talking about the biggest stuff. He's like, yes, but what camp are you in? What camp? Come on. Come on. You see, the ego loves to know what camp you're in. But if you can begin to see it, instead of down in it, and, the, and these distinctions can be helpful, the right and wrong, there are certain spheres where right and wrong is incredibly important. Human trafficking is wrong. Are you with me on this? So we're not discounting competing. We're not discounting right, wrong. We're not discounting moments when you have to take sides. We're talking about what happens when this becomes the sole lens, the only lens through which you're viewing things. But here's the invitation. The invitation, instead of being down in it, is to find yourself observing it. Observe it with non-judgmental detachment. Just observe it. Oh, here comes so-and-so. Now, so-and-so and I see things very differently. And inevitably, so-and-so and I are going to get into it. And I'm going to be like, and I'm going to get all trolling Facebook-ish about it. And I'm going to come up with my arguments. And they're going to come up with their, and they're going to frustrate me because they're going to continue to use the same old argument they've always used. Imagine instead observing it as this whole thing is a becoming. It's an unfolding. And they are a gift to me to show me to wake me up, to expand me, to teach me whatever they're here to teach me. And by the way, if you begin to see things this way, not only is it way more fun, and you'll, you learn so much, more, the wisdom, you'll get fire-hosed with wisdom, but you begin to see the whole thing as a happening. And there's a nod to Ramdas there, by the way, Grist for the Mill, can't recommend that book enough. But uh, you begin to see the whole thing as a happening. See, at earlier stages, we're so caught up in our own self. We're so caught up in our own ego. We're so caught up in our own worthiness. Are we good enough? Are we worthy enough? Do they like us? That for us to see anything beyond our own survival, our own development, our own, are we a success or not? Have we pleased the right authority figures? We're still stuck through these two eyes. We're seeing the whole thing. But my brothers and sisters, you're invited to see the whole thing as a happening. The whole thing as a happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the universe is a happening. Consciousness is the universe observing itself. You are one with the whole thing. And so you are observing the whole thing, which is you, which is the individual within the whole thing. See what I'm saying? By the way, uh, there's an ancient Hebrew prayer, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema, sort of the central prayer of Jewish consciousness, hero Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Baruch atah Adonai Melech Eloheinu. This prayer, but think about this, thousands of years ago in the wilderness, you had people, you had, you had pilgrims talking, hero Israel, Lord your God, the Lord is one. What were they saying? Ultimate reality is one. It is a seamless integrated one. Everything's connected with everything else. All the differences, all the divisions, all the things that you've cooked up to say, I am not that, fine. But they all are like fish swimming in an ocean of oneness. So thousands of years ago, people were pointing this out. So if you can begin to see that, then it takes all this weight off. 
because somebody can offend you, somebody can make you angry, somebody can crank you up, somebody can do something profoundly unjust and you're gonna fight it with every fiber in your being, but you also at the same time are seeing the whole thing from a slightly higher altitude or you're more, you're in it, you're above it, you're under it, you're around it, pick your preposition. Uh, you're also seeing it as the happening that it is, the unfolding that it is. Now, uh, this whole thing that I've been doing has actually been a sermon about a verse, about something that Jesus said, but I figured I wouldn't start with the verse, I would just end with the verse. You realize what I've been talking about here is when Jesus said to love your enemies, if you love your enemies, you're going to end up in the act of loving your enemy, finding that you are dissolving the very categories of you and your enemy. <laughs> Raise your glasses, my friends, so good. See, your enemy exists within the firmly entrenched categories of me and them, difference, division, differentiation. But you start loving your enemy and those categories will not be able to bear the weight of your love and the categories will collapse. So what will happen if you actually set out to love your enemy? is the very framework that you began in will not be able to stand up to what's just happened. Which is why you often hear people talk about their greatest moments of revelation and insight and joy. They generally say, you know, I, I, I mean, we come from very different backgrounds, but suddenly we've, right? That's how people talk. You know, I was thousands of miles from home and I don't even speak their language, but I found myself. It's always, always stories about people and they mention, they always stress that they began with a whole world of difference and division and differentiation and then something happened and they realized, hero Israel, Lord your God, Lord is one. Yeah, we get stuck in the categories and we get stuck in, she always annoys me, he always insults us. They always find a way to get under my skin but you begin to see this person as a gift, as a teacher. And for some reason in the unfolding and becoming of this 13.8 billion year old universe, they came your way, you came their way, who knows how it works. And you are invited to see it as a great happening. Oh, look at this. I wonder where this is going. Wow, that guy really pisses me off. I wonder what is present within me that like I, he seems to be provoking. I wonder what that is. I should probably pay attention to that. I should listen. And next time he comes around, I should lean in a little more because I'll probably learn something. And it'll probably, it'll probably loosen me up. It'll probably make me more flexible, compassionate. It'll probably make me more wise, might make me, give me more of a spine. You know what? Next time I need to say something. That's it. I never say anything because I don't want to offend, but I need to say something because he's crossed a line. Oh, now we're growing a spine. 
This man was sent to give you a spine. This woman who hides knives in her words, she always finds a way to take a shot at me. I am going to, every time she says something like that, respond with something kind about her. And I'm going to watch what happens. So when, she, when I first see her coming, I am going to try and look for something good that I can say to her, something kind I can say to her to see what happens. Oh, look at this story. Oh, I wonder where this story is going to go this time. And all of a sudden, the thing you were dreading becomes, oh, what's the word here, my friends? An adventure? An exploration? A bit of improv? A happening? An unfolding? A becoming? I know, I know, everyone is your teacher. So my friends, there are a few thoughts on that. May you come to see a universe that is intimately and intricately, intricately related everything to everything else. May you, in making the important distinctions we have to make every day between this and that, right and wrong, uh, may you also see it as existing within a far larger category of interrelatedness. May you shift from seeing this person as a giant drain on your soul to this person is a gift and they're here to teach me something. And now I need to ask the right questions. And may you see everyone as your teacher, as you love your enemies, and find that the categories that used to be the categories don't work anymore. And may grace and peace be with you.